Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 124. Today we are checking in with one another on some thoughts regarding last summer's book study on culturally responsive teaching in the brain by Zaretta Hammond. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So we're going to talk about some highs and lows, but first we want to just give a big thank you and a shout out to Rocky, the Regional Organization of Colorado Kodai Educators. We had a workshop with them. Uh, what day was that? November 12th, a couple yes. weeks ago. And uh, it was fantastic. An awesome group of music educators, both current teachers and students at Colorado State. And we're so thankful to Rocky and to Colorado State for hosting us. It was just a hoot. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was so much fun. And yeah. Our so next... Oh, yes. No, I was just going to say uh, what you're probably going to say. Oh, go um, for it. Is that, yes, we do have something scheduled in January. We will pre, well, you go ahead. Oh, well, on okay. On January 21st, uh, we'll be presenting at Simpson College in Iowa. And that is uh, an event co-sponsored by the university as well as Kodai Educators of Iowa. So we are excited to be in Iowa and meet some new people and have fun singing and playing. So if you're in that area um, of the Des Moines area of Simpson College, definitely come and, and say hello. We'd love to see you on January yes. 21st. Um, and then additionally, in March, we will be presenting at the Organization of American Kodai Educators National Conference, which is in Florida this year. Yeah. And I'm sorry, where are we in Florida? Jacksonville. Jacksonville, Florida. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> not sure which day of the conference that we are presenting yet, but uh, stay tuned and we'll yeah. give you more info. So we just love getting out. We've had a very eventful presentation season this school year. And it's just so much fun to see other music educators. And we, you know, we get a lot of just talking to people a lot out of that and sharing ideas. And um, we would love to come present for you and your chapter or organization. Just let us know. You can find us on Facebook, or of course, our website is musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. Yeah. All right. So on that note, Tanya, would you like to talk about a high or low? And also keep in mind, we are coming off of Thanksgiving break. So we've had a whole week off. So it can be school related or personal, Tanya, your choice. Well, thank you, because it must be personal. I kind of flushed my brain right as we came out of school, right before Thanksgiving. I really was on a mission for this break to be uh, completely disconnected from school, because often I find that to be challenging for me is that I can remember several breaks, even summer breaks, where I just don't feel like I completely disconnected from school and my school brain still works. Of course, it's interesting because, you know, now that we're going to be going back to school tomorrow, um, I had a school dream last night. So my brain, you know, my, my subconscious brain still will go there, but I'm trying to consciously not have my full-time awake brain be thinking of school. So anyway, my personal high was that I got to go to Seattle 
not to present, not to do anything music teacher related, but me and a friend went there to see a band that we love that was not coming to Colorado. We went, went and saw Arcade Fire um, and that was in Seattle and I have a few friends there. And so I got to meet up with friends and I got to hang out in Seattle, wander around the city and go to a fabulous concert and get back right before Thanksgiving day. So that was my high. Oh, I love Seattle. It's wonderful place to, to explore and hang out. It wasn't too rainy. It was only rainy for one day and, um, concert was awesome. It was a great disconnection for me. Yay. That's good. Yeah. But you want to talk school. Hmm. Well, yes. I am going to tell a school story. It's kind of okay. a low. It's it's like a funny low. I mean, I think it's funny. So, um, you know, in an attempt to not be so dependent on screens, you know, I'm. This is something as as a mom and in my personal life, I'm constantly like, get off the screens. I say that to myself, to my children, you know, everyone. And then in my classroom, I'm thinking, all right, this is great. We can do things on technology. That's fabulous. But we have to get away from it from time to time. So all that to say, I wanted to do an activity with my third graders, and this was getting ready for Thanksgiving break, and. Uh, I was doing an activity with them and it's just like making up a Thanksgiving plate. So it was like a little composition, like a food composition. And there were different foods that represented different rhythms. So turkey was TT, mashed potatoes was ticka ticka because I had recently presented ticka ticka. So I have this as like a drag and drop type activity on the smart board using like smart notebook or whatever. Um, but I wanted to have students individually create compositions. This would be something really easy to do in like Seesaw, for example, right? Where students yeah. could drag and drop. But here's where I was like, no, no screens. <laughs> We're gonna do this old school. So I created like a worksheet thing where it was like, a plate and then all the little foods were like things you could physically cut out with scissors and oh, physically no. paste with glue sticks so glue sticks are always a bad idea <laughs> in the music room well scissors okay so here's where things went terribly wrong i mean uh, no one got hurt i will start off by saying that so i would i used to in my old school have a big box of kid scissors that i just collected over the years like enough like that two kids could maybe share one pair of scissors or whatever and then glue sticks and i all of a sudden realized Realized, like the day I was doing this activity, oh, I don't have all that at my new school. So I'm like, okay, art teacher, she's fabulous. Maybe I can ask her to borrow some scissors and glue sticks. <laughs> so I go in and she was having a particularly stressful day. And I was like, hey, got glue sticks? And she's like, I hate glue sticks. I don't use glue sticks. She has this whole thing against glue sticks. I was like, oh my. okay, how about scissors? She's like, no, not really. Or we, I can't remember what it was, but so then I was like, okay, so I went to the third grade teachers and I was like, hey, do all the kids have a glue stick and scissors? They're like, yeah, most of them do in their supply boxes. And I was like, can they bring them to music class today? So now here's a bunch of third graders tromping down the hall with scissors. And oh my gosh, kids, did kids not learn how to hold scissors? Like, I remember that being something that we were like adamantly taught as children is you hold them point side down right and you always walk with scissors point and you're holding the point in your fist so it's protecting the point and you carry it that way these kids were walking around with the point like sticking out like a sword i was like oh my gosh someone's gonna get hurt yeah so all it's the stress funny. of having the kids bring those things and then this activity, which I really in my brain was like, uh, you know, five to 10 minutes for them to cut, paste, glue, and then share their composition. We oh, never man. got to the sharing part, which was the whole point. So we spent like 15 minutes 
cutting out little scraps of paper and sticking them to a paper and then five minutes cleaning up all the scraps and then i was like oh well now it's time to go and they never actually what you could have done is you could have pre-cut them but that's a pain in the butt no i wasn't going to do that either so okay so learn from me i'm learning from me sometimes technology is better oh my gosh that whole activity would have been so much more fun and quick and meaningful if we could have just finished it they could have spoken it out loud to or to a partner or they could have recorded themselves in seesaw but like this is where I just got in the way of myself with this activity. And well, adults would have been able to do it in 10 or 15 minutes. Exactly. This is where where's your focus? Is your focus on the rhythms or is your focus on the cutting of the things and the gluing of the things? And yeah, well, and my husband is an art teacher, as you know, and every year I hear about how kids are developmentally just using scissors. That's happening later and later. Yeah. And it's something that he intentionally teaches, yeah. but it's, it's more challenging lately. And it's funny about the walking through the hallway, because I'm thinking about how it, at my school, they walk through the hallway with their Chromebooks held a very specific way, yeah. right? They've been taught that that's been reinforced, but they're probably not walking down the hallway with scissors a lot. So no, no. you're getting no help from exactly. any kind of, you know practice from that. It was all a big failure. Um, I mean, they had fun and actually like I ended up displaying their little Thanksgiving plates in the hallway. So while they never actually got to share them with the class, that particular class, they will walk by and be like, oh, there's my Thanksgiving plate. <laughs> I'll be wow. like, yeah, read it for me real quick. Um, but the funny thing is, you know, we always get a redo with what we do, right? So in the subsequent classes that I did the same lesson with, we I didn't even do it on Seesaw. I actually ended up just doing it as a whole group activity and called it a day. Um, yeah, because... you can drag and stuff. They could have colored the little pieces of paper too. You could have added to it. Oh, that's what I originally wanted to do too. I actually had crayon boxes ready to go. I do have communal crayon boxes that they can share, but um, we didn't even get that far. There, It was like, nope, they... <laughs> We barely got these things cut out and slapped on their little plates. So cute activity, cute idea, not executed well. So learn from me. Live and learn. (laughs) And now it's time for our main theme. We are revisiting some ideas and goals that we had kind of set for ourselves after reading the book, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. We read this book summer 2022, and we had a lot of great takeaways and uh, actionable items. And we said we would revisit in November and we are pushing it to the very end of November. Um, yeah, but here we are. <laughs> yes. And, and as I was coming through some ideas that I had originally taken away, I'm um yeah there's there's so much to do this is not of course as with anything that's worthwhile this is not a quick and easy these are not hacks these are not like do this immediately and everything will be awesome top Um, five tips to be a culturally responsive we we love hacks we love tips and tricks in our society and this is not that and that is great yeah, it's meant to be that way. It's and, meant uh, to be that way. She talks about that in the book. And uh, in preparing for today, you know, a little bit of thinking, um, I f- assembled upon a couple 
videos on YouTube of Zaretta Hammond doing like webinars and different talks and stuff. So, um, you know, she talks very specifically about that idea that these aren't boxes to check. This is like a shift, a mindset shift, right? It is, totally. Um, which is why it's important to revisit it, which is what we're doing today. So we're just going to have a very cash conversation about- Casual and frank. Yeah, and things honest. that have stuck with us and then things we want to, you know, continue working on. And I think- both Tanya and I are um, struggling with, dealing with, learning the reality of being in a new school environment. Um, I will say a lot of the things that I read and was excited to put into practice from this book, I don't feel like I have had the opportunity because I've gone from a school that is mostly um, uh, Latino, Hispanic students, um, more so than my white population was smaller, where now I am in a very much white majority school. Um, and so for me, a lot of these ideas, I, I don't think I was able to put into practice in the way that I anticipated when I read the book. And that's not good or bad. That's just the way that it is. Um, are, are you finding the same thing with your new school population, Tanya? Oh, yes, 100%. Um... Yeah, so not as heavily impacted as your former school, but my former school, you know, does have a significant um, percentage of free and reduced lunch kids, not quite Title I. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm really, how shall I say? Like, I, it's good. I think I need, there's some chapters in here as I was preparing and looking through that I really need to revisit and remind myself of because it's very easy to just take things at face value and go, okay, well, you know, income equals stability and um, kids who are ready to learn. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case. And, oh, low income families equals trauma. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's not, that's very much a generalized notion. Yeah. And yet, you know, I see that immediately just, I mean, I don't see it deeply. I don't see the deeper culture for my new school at all. So, right. I mean, it's November. And so yeah. I think, you know, I feel like I'm still getting to know the school and getting to know the students. Uh, so anyway, all that to say, like, you can't believe what you first see on the surface, right? Right. Because I have very recently seen the students struggle with specific things that I didn't see my other students struggle with. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there is that kind of um, just shift. Like it's, it's not that there's less uh, challenge. Well, it, yeah. in a way there are less challenges in my new school, but in a way, but also I'm seeing that there are challenges that I didn't face at my other school. Right. And here's an example, just a very clear example. You know, I do a musician of the day and I work hard to find different cultures and different musicians, like getting over that whole, ooh, this is foreign to me, giggle, 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 I'm uncomfortable. Like that is more of a thing for sure at my new school because it's so homogenized. That they are uncomfortable. They got yeah. over it quicker at your old school. Right. You know, and I... To my credit, I am past the 
point of that making me annoyed and angry, I understand that that's going to be an initial reaction. Like that is very typical, Mm -hmm. right? When we're faced with something that is foreign and very different, we make fun of it. We laugh. We are not accepting. We say we don't like it. Like I can move past that very quickly. Yeah. But that was not as much of an issue at my other school. I think they were used to more diversity, plain and simple. Yeah. And so seeing some diversity, even that is very different from what they're used to, they're like, oh, okay, more differences. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's something I've been thinking about a lot with my with my population now is really reminding myself, you know, we've, we've talked about and it's referred to a lot, the idea of windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors. Yes. And I feel like with this particular community, I need to be giving them lots more windows and sliding glass oh, doors yes. um, rather than mirrors because they get mirrors all the time. <laughs> they get mirrors all the time. And I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast about the day I was um, playing uh, some uh, folk song from Jamaica that was a recording, you know, and, and the singer is singing in English and the kids are like, oh, what's that language? And when I asked them for, you know, using the st- sentence stems, I notice, I wonder, I hear, um, kids saying things like, uh, well, this music is, has culture. Ah, that's And me following up go and saying, well, do you have culture? And they said, no. <laughs> and, and the whole class pretty much agreed. And these are fourth graders. Like they agree that culture is something other, right? Yeah. This is their thinking. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's been a challenge. Uh, can I mention something else that's kind of I don't know, just really has struck me at my new school. As far as the staff goes, there is a definite difference in the work culture grind slash grind culture idea. I feel like at my previous school, um, a lot of the teachers at my previous school, they were very, I'm not saying that my current school are less dedicated by any means, but they were very much into, um, I mean, almost to the point of annoyance, like, oh, I was here late. Oh, I get here an hour early. Oh, I never take days, even when I'm sick. Like they're very, they want, not everybody, but there's lots of staff at my former school who are very, um, they identify with, I am a hardworking teacher and I sacrifice for my students. Mm -hmm. At my new school, it's more of a, I am a hardworking teacher and I deserve to take this random personal day and, you know, don't even think twice about it. Also, a lot of that has to do with at my former school, it was very common that I would try to get a sub and I could not get a sub. Like I remember last year, my son was sick and I wanted to take him to the doctor and I'm like, I'm going to try to get a sub. It was the day before and I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't. And I didn't end up taking that day when it was so very stressful because I was calling all the numbers I had and I put it in the system and nobody picked it up and I just had to go to school. Mm -hmm. And that is not an issue at my new school. There are a set, there's this group of subs who only go to my school. Mm-hmm. And they're happy, happy, happy to come in. And I haven't been denied, not even close. Like it's been nothing for me to have a sub come in and it's not a lot of stress because I ask one or two people and someone can do it and I set it up and away we go and they don't drop it at the last minute. And so 
you know, it's understandable that at my previous school, when the, this, you feel the sub shortage there, because I think people would rather go to different schools. And I know you can definitely speak towards that at your former school, because you never took days off or it was very hard. No, I never had a sub like ever, um, especially since, since the pandemic, I mean, that amplified it, but, um, yeah, it was the norm that if um, either myself or the art, their PE teacher had to be out for whatever reason, um, I very rarely made sub plans. And if I did, I made them very basic because generally they wouldn't have been followed because we didn't get subs and uh, we would just have to cover for each other. We would take a third or a or a half of a class and split them yeah. amongst ourselves. Um, yeah, there are so many things that I mean, I taught in Title I schools for 21 years, and this is the first year that I'm not in a Title I school. And so, so many of the inequities have been staring me in the face more now that I'm out of it than when yeah. I was in it. And I was like, well, this is just how it works. This is the reality. Um, yeah. You know, and there were things that in Title I schools, we did have a lot of like tangible things in the form of like, we had one-to-one -one iPads and Chromebooks before everybody else did. Okay, right. great. But we had Mimeo boards before everybody else did. Exactly. Yeah, we had. Um, yeah, we had smart boards really early on. Um, my my budget in my music room in both schools that I've worked at, um, Title One in two different districts, has been sizable. I mean, I have not been. It's not been material things that we haven't had. It's um, support systems, it's people, it's the right people. Um, I think it's so hard because the turnover, the teacher turnover in Title I schools is so difficult. So lots of principals, lots of young principals fresh in their careers, lots of teachers fresh in their careers who for whatever reason are, are not in it for the the longevity of it. And I get it. It's hard. It's really hard. And that that mindset you were talking about of staying late and coming in early, there's definitely um, a, a martyr aspect to it. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I did it myself and I saw it in a lot of my colleagues um, where, yeah, if you work in a Title I school, you must work harder than everybody else. And there's some truth to that, but there's also some you know, stereotypes that go with that as far as like, well, do we really have to? Can we break out of that? Can we demand better for ourselves and for our students? And I think steps are going in the right direction. Like, for example, in our district, now Title I schools, those teachers are getting a, a small stipend. It's not huge, but it's something. It and is so, something. yeah, starting to recognize the work of, of those teachers um, and support staff that that's a different kind of work. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah, I could go on and on about all the but, things you know, I'm noticing. It's yeah. been really interesting this year. But it's very those. interesting how you just being in a specific culture, how your my mindset has just started drifting towards that. Oh, no, I have a doctor's appointment. I can take a personal day and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Like or take a sick day because it's a doctor's appointment. Like, yeah. And because of that's how the that's the attitude in the building and that's how these popul this population of teachers and administration are are like you know you need to take care of yourself right yeah and at my previous school they might you might hear occasionally you need to take care of yourself but nobody does right you're not and, able to yeah and I just and I keep thinking gosh you know my previous school they need a big heap of 
what's going on in my current school as far as like attitudes towards work and grind and all of that. But I understand like that's just but the culture dictates so much of that. And I don't, it's like you don't see it when you're in it. Well, and let's talk instructionally, because this is something yes. that else I've noticed. So when it comes to like my lesson plans, my long term, my short term plans, I'm doing the same thing I've always done. And this is the beauty, I think, of being a Kodai inspired educator is that it's really excellent teaching no matter where you teach, like the basic tenets of the philosophy, they work everywhere. They work for all populations of kids. You could swap out your literature, you could change up the concepts, and but the basic premise of of a Kodai-inspired classroom, the PPP model, the the idea of the lesson plans being play-based and the idea of taxing them and relaxing them and all of that stuff is just so fabulous. Here's where I'm seeing the difference, though, from my older schools to my newer schools. Because we have less visible, and I say visible because I know that there could be things going on under the surface I'm not seeing, but less visible trauma as far as student behavior goes, that my lesson plans don't have to be quite as scripted and tight as they used I know. Gosh. Yeah. I felt like, yeah, we've had this conversation off. Yeah. For so many years, I felt like I had to have every single thing planned to a T and planned out and laid out. And God forbid, if I forgot to get the rhythm sticks out and I had to turn my back to my students and go get rhythm sticks, because again, students who are just struggling for a variety of reasons, that's when it's going to come out. And now I all of a sudden I have to maintain where in my population now, because the students are not experiencing that same level of trauma, at least again, not visibly, um, you know, if I have to turn around and get something out, they can keep going without me. That's not as hands on. Um, And this is all just observational data. This isn't anything I have hard numbers on, but it's just stuff that I'm noticing that's, you know, my students are reacting to my instruction the same way that my other students reacted to instruction. I see exactly the things that they're catching on to quickly. I see the things that they struggle with. It's all very similar. But the difference is I don't have four or five kids running around the classroom, hiding under tables. I might have one occasionally, um, but certainly not as many. And so I'm able to just continue teaching the lesson plan I taught and not get derailed as much as I did. Yeah. And, and I've noticed, I mean, we've spoken a lot about this and how, you know, initially I started feeling guilty about like, oh my, I'm not at the top of my game today for whatever reason. And everything's going so well. Like yeah. I definitely have had those moments. I mean, the day before Thanksgiving break, I was doing a look it with my fifth graders. It was like a culmination of our percussion week because we've been doing drum circles and talking about percussion instruments and all of that. So I have this look at that we were doing. And as they were sitting there doing that, one of the students go said, um, Oh, there needs to be more questions. This is too easy. And I sat down in real time at my desk. Oh my gosh. Have I ever sat at my desk during class before? No. Uh, I sat down at my desk and added two more questions. Yeah. And nothing, everything was fine. Yeah. Like I didn't have to keep looking up and I wasn't nervous about it. Like that to me just kind of was very indicative of exactly what you're talking about that I can try. I'm not walking backwards all the time. Yeah. I I really got used to never turning my back, walking backwards, setting things up, making sure all my transitions were really tight. Um, You know, 
filling the holes in, okay, well, when we do this particular thing, when we get up and we go to the instruments, I got to make sure that we do it in this way because I foresee that, you know, these two students are going to try to whatever. Yeah. So I was feeling guilty about that initially, like, you know, this is not fair for things to go so well when I'm not, I haven't put as much work into it. Yeah. So I do think that like, as far as energy spent um, as a teacher at, by the end of the day, by the end of the week, I have much more of it than I yeah. used to. And, and that's very sad. There's just, ugh, there's so much to that. And it's, there and is. then, yeah. So when we hear about teachers who are quitting, when we hear about teachers who are finding other careers, quitting mid-year and all of that, it's really hard when I'm in the situation that I'm currently in. It's really hard for me to understand what might be going on in their day-to-day life in the classroom. Yeah. So I'm glad I've had some experience, well, 24 years of experience in a school that was definitely not like this. Right. Yeah, same. And I think, you know, while I do get it, because I lived it and you did, but yeah, there are things that one can do as an educator to preserve your energy, but also make sure your students are getting the very best they can, which is going to lead us right into the next thing we were going to talk about is one of our big takeaways from this book, you and I both, we talked about at the time is this idea of being a warm demander. And what does that look like? And I think, I mean, I can say because I lived it, that when I had really excellent instruction was when I was in this zone of being a warm demander. And this this goes for being at very highly impacted schools, that it was that beautiful combination of, I care for you very much. We have a relationship that we've built. It's taken time, but here we are. You're a third grader or a fourth grader. I've had you since kindergarten now. I know you, I know your family. We know each other well. Therefore now I, I have earned the right to demand this level of of work from you and so i've i saw great success with my students in title one schools as far as the the product they were able to create the work we were able to do in the music room um and i think it it's because of this this notion of being a warm demander was i perfect at it all the time of course not but i think that's where i feel like I was able to see high levels of success with my kids so if you are in that situation of being in a highly impacted school definitely think about how we we can do better for our kids and ourselves because i think it's worth it for yourself too, your own energy as a teacher if you're able to get to this zone with your kids very much yes and like you were saying i think that this is something that it's hard to say i'm a warm demander all the time that i think i have had moments where i am in that zone and then i have had moments where i i am not Um, so we're going to talk about some successes in thinking about being a warden demander and some things to still work on. And I'm just going to say that I have enjoyed and had some positive times offering instructive feedback, like in the moment with my students and like really working out. And an example is sight singing. We were doing some sight singing, some Mire doing with my third graders, and they were having a really hard time singing um, Ascending Do Re Mi. Mire Do is, is 
pretty simple, but then reading and then singing do re mi patterns that ascend was a challenge, right? And also singing those skips, of course. And then these are students that haven't been singing a whole lot. And the pandemic, of course, has a lot, has a lot to do with that. Yeah. And so for us to, you know, sight sing, um, it's it's not an easy thing. And so we're breaking it down. And, and I have been able to, you know, do exactly, here's exactly what we're doing. And here's what we need to change. And, and they will go with it. Yeah. Whereas um, previously, I have had trouble with continuing with giving those, you know, that feedback where the attention span has not been um, there for me to continue in that vein. So I've been kind of pushing it, doing the demanding part. And, you know, where as in the past, I would have been like, okay, well, we sang this, we sang it wrong. We, we fixed this little bit. We sang that three times and now we're going back to the sight singing pattern and can we do it now? Oh, no, nope, we still flubbed it. Now we're going to go back and, and break it down again. And, oh, we sang it right this time. Let's do it again. And so I have been literally doing that one more time. Let's Now let's really lock it in. Now let's do it one more time. Uh -huh. But like we were saying before, I feel like the population of students that I'm teaching, they will do that. Yeah. And I feel like there have been times in the past with groups of students where I have tried to push it and, and they're just not with me and behaviors happen. But that's not to say, I mean, these are very specific situations, yeah. um, but I have been able to do some more demanding. Sure. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I, for me, a success, I'd say in becoming a warm demander at my new school is that I really wanted to give it time. You know, she talks in the book about earning the right to be a warm demander that, you know, in, in my previous school, I had the gift of time, especially for my older kids that I had had them. I was there for six years. So I had had them for quite a long time in my school. Previous to that, I was there for 15 years. I know you were at your school for 20 something years before you moved. So I think I had to really tell myself it's okay to take time to really get to know them both personally and instructionally to see where they're at and not feel rushed to cram content down their throat quickly. I really wanted to, I kept saying my motto was go slow to go fast. I'm going to go really slow. And I was very, yeah. um, I, I communicated that with my principal a lot because she's been doing all of our administrators in our district have been given the directive to do more observations and be in classrooms more, which I think is fabulous. I have yes. absolutely no problem with that. But I was very clear with her that instructionally they are, might be quote unquote behind, and this is due to the pandemic, but this is also due to me not trying to push them quickly. Um, I'm giving them some really juicy content, but as far as the concept and skills go, well, concepts specifically, um, you know, I'm going slow to go fast, but then and also just building those relationships. And so I really took a lot of time at the beginning of the year to just do lots of community building things in my classroom. And um, I'm happy now that I did that because I feel like I have earned the right to demand more of them now and to really start to push them. I feel like had I come in and done that right away, especially because the music teacher that they had for our, 
our older students, they've had the same music teacher for a very, the whole time that they've been there, you know, so there's that trust building that needs to happen when you go to a new school. Um, I feel like I was able to earn their trust quickly, though, because culturally, I'm the same as most of them, where in a new school where my culture might be different than a lot of my students, that might take even more time. So, you know, that part was interesting. Um, something I want to continue working on, though, is pushing them more, having more rigor for them and more independent learning, so, or, or even partner learning or small group learning, but less whole group and more small group or individual learning is always something I'm wanting to do more of um, and really let them start taking things and making it their own. Um, I do teach at a school that's a GT center school, so a third of our kids are officially labeled as gifted and talented. So I really want to make sure I'm meeting the needs of those kids too. And that involves a lot of independent thinking and a lot of independent work as well. So that's just something I'm going to dig into more as the school year goes on. Yeah, my um, my challenge and my goal is the same, that I want to do more independent work and more group work um, and have kids have more time to do all of that. And so part of the reason that I'm not doing as much small group work and independent work as I would like is that the times I have done that, I'm really having a challenge with the floor. The floor is a hard tile floor and it's very loud and it's very hard for students to hear themselves mm -hmm. and to hear each other, like everything vibrates. So, I mean, and that's a silly reason, but it's so very very there. Yeah. So I need to work on getting some huge carpet in the room to do that. But I also need to give students more time when they find something challenging. An example of this is um, I did the cup game around Halloween week. And we, I always do the cup game to in the hall of the mountain King. Um, and my fifth graders, it was not an easy thing for them. Like, I usually do it in one class period. And by the end of the class period, most kids are successful. That was not the case. And that's, this is like with all of my fifth grade groups, not just one, that they really needed more time. And I didn't plan that in. Yeah. And so I need to be more flexible so that I can go, okay, well, we started this. We worked on it this much. And I usually am not going to revisit it, but we're going to revisit it. We're going to get this. Because um, one thing I've noticed about my new school, my new school is that um, the growth mindset is not uh, as strong as it could be. They don't like not being good at things right away. Yep. That's 100% so. something I'm seeing in my school as well. Yeah. And uh, there are so many reasons that I could guess why that is but i yeah. don't have solid data to say why so yeah. i won't go there but uh but it's definitely a hallmark of kids who are identified as gifted as well i mean i know you uh -huh. know that um well yeah i'm living it yeah, at exactly. my own house mm -hmm. yeah yeah is when things are hard i'm just gonna give up and i'm gonna retreat and do something i like much better um exactly yeah so i'm seeing that with a lot of a lot of my students who are labeled as gifted as well as those who are not so right so the other thing that I know stuck out with with me after reading the book was this idea of collectivist culture versus a more individual culture that she had. There's this great table in the book that just lays out like different um, countries and cultures and their like scale of how much they are, relate, are rated as an individual country versus a collectivist kind of um, 
you know, the culture within that country. So like the United States, number one for individual, right? Where right. countries that are more in South America, Central America, Africa, those countries definitely more have a collectivist culture. And while, yes. you know, we can say that here in the United States, everyone is a United States citizen, so therefore we're all there. We also know that the culture that the students bring with them from the time they're born to the time they enter school is going to vary from from household to household. And yeah. so, you know, while I am in a predominantly white school now, I still wanted to bring in a lot of aspects of collectivist culture with my students because I don't want to make the assumption that all of my students are want to work on things individually and that's what makes them happy. But I also think that's what makes good citizens of the world, that if we learn how to be more collectivist and learn how to do more group work, um, that's going to be a great skill that's going to bring you into whatever path you want to go on in life. So that is such a hard concept, though. I mean, yeah. and, and I'm just just to put it out there, um, our country is it's capitalism. I mean, yes. it's all about our country is hardwired for that whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps and the real work gets done when you are alone and putting your nose to the grindstone. And I definitely feel that hardwired in me. And this is not because, you know, and I'm not blaming parents or blaming my family. I just, I just think living in this society as, um, you know, the, the norm culture in our country is very highly individualistic. And you know, it's interesting when you just even watch television, like, okay, I've been watching some some dumb Christmas movies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, the romantic comedy Christmas movies that, I mean, I gotta be more selective because there's some dumb ones I have sat through <laughs> while I'm doing laundry and all the oh, things. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But just even think about those some of those plots, which are basically all the same. It's always like this independent woman who worked hard and, and now, you know, she's got to go back to her hometown and save the bakery or whatever. It's like all very individualistic. And then they throw in a little bit of, but here's some found family that we can have um, some warm fuzzies with. And, but that's all, that's all you get. And yeah. it's only for Christmas. <laughs> right. Yes. And then we're back to it again in January. Yeah, yeah but it's the, very much grind culture, right? The, the competition thing, which I mean, I love it in certain aspects in my classroom. And I think for some kids that it is a motivator and that's great. Here, can I give a, an example? So um, I was doing an activity with fourth grade. So I found these things in my classroom. I'm going to link to them in the show notes. They're called note knacks. Have you heard of note knacks? I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, they're cool. So they're like these wooden music note things. So think like a Scrabble board, right? Not uh -huh. the board, but like the little thing that you use to like put your letters on when you're playing Scrabble. A holder for the tiles. Yeah, yeah. Whatever those are called. Okay. Um, so these little bags come with one that is essentially four beats, one that's three beats, and one that's two beats. And then you get all these little wooden um, notation. This is duration. This is rhythm. So ta, you know, quarter note is one length. And then they have individual eighth notes that are half of that size. And then the, the half note is double the length. And then, of course, there's a whole note that's the whole four beat thing. Anyway, so I'm working with fourth graders on Tita T, or otherwise known as Cinco Pa. So I'm like, well, this would be a really great activity to use with the fourth graders for dictation, composition, whatever, because the eighth notes are split, right? So you can create those rhythms very easily. Well, I only had 
12 sets in my classroom. So I was like, okay, well, I don't obviously have enough for individuals. I don't even have enough for partners. So we ended up doing this in groups of three and four. And with one class, I just had did like dictation where I would say different rhythms. They would work together on it as a group. And then they had to, as a group, compose a little four beat rhythm and share it with me out loud. And it was fine. Well, then the next fourth grade class comes in a couple days later and I'm doing the same activity. But in that particular fourth grade class, these kids have a harder time working together as groups. Um, in particular, there's one student who really struggles and he kind of derails the class. And I've just noticed this, this class, um, they are not gelling as well as the other class. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make this more of a competition and see if that goes well for them. So on the board, I just, I had like seven different groups and I just put a tally mark every time they got the rhythm correct. And the activity was just as successful. I wouldn't necessarily say it was more successful, but it just had a very, it had a different vibe. It didn't have that nice little warm, fuzzy moment of kids sitting around and writing little rhythms because they were more cutthroat about it. They were like, well, we're going to get it right and you're going to get it wrong. And yeah. The goal was exactly the same. The end product was exactly the same, but the vibe in the room was very different. And then when my third group of fourth graders came in to do the same activity, I went back to being non-competitive. And I realized that I felt that the, the vibe was much better when it wasn't competitive and they were just as engaged and they had just as much fun. So now my goal is, okay, that middle class that I felt like that middle group that I had to make it competitive for, how can I get away from that with this group now? What can yeah. I do to, to build their collectivist culture so that we're not needing that competition to stay engaged? You know what I mean? Totally. And I think we need more examples of how to build that in a collective, how to build a collectivist like group. I can't, you know, I, I, I would love to, well, I mean, the book has a little, but yeah, I, I need to cue in on and have specific plans to build that kind of culture within each classroom and to do it musically is really what we want to be doing, of course. Right. And music lends itself to that. Um, but it would be nice to see more. I, you know, I always default to like, we need to do trust falls out in the forest and walk ropes and all <laughs> of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah. Well, I will say, I think if the activity is engaging and hands on, the kids are going to gravitate towards it better. I think for me, what I see is if my kids get bored, that's when they start to squabble. That's when they yeah. start to have issues. And this, this particular example, because these things are so physical and so hands-on, you know, they really enjoy, it's like building, it's like doing Legos, you know, like yes. they enjoy building these rhythms. And we see this with stations, right? Like my kids, my best days with students when it comes to group work and getting along are stations because they're so engaged and they want to do the stations and they want to take turns. Well, I occasionally have to put out fires, of course, but on stations days, those are the days that I plan right before holidays. And those are the days that I plan when I'm feeling stressed because I know it's going to go well if I've set it up well and if I've made the activities really engaging and hands-on for the kids. So yes. I, while I don't have all the answers, I think that's part of the answer is having really good engaging activities that are hands-on that the kids feel that they value the activities. Therefore, they value their time together, right? Right. Yes. So I will say that some success that I've had in the realm of collectivist um, 
grouping is videos I've taken of classes performing a piece. Because one of the things I'm doing this year is that there is a short little news thing that happens that every class plays um, the video of in the mornings, right? It's the news for the school day. And I have been including, or I have been sending along to the librarian who's in charge of doing the news. I send along like a, a video of a specific class doing a song, just like a, a tiny little performance. We had instruments or, or whatever. And so I've started a spreadsheet and I'm keeping track. And my goal is to have every grade level who does not have a formal performance this year, I'm going to make sure there's a video of them. Right. And then I started doing, well, maybe I can do the whole school. So anyway, we'll see if that happens. But uh, so we've been doing these videos and it usually we rehearse and then we video it a couple of times. We do a couple of different takes and then I show it to the students and they offer their feedback and they also vote on their favorite one. OK, so we have ooh, three different versions of us doing five little pumpkins kindergartners they did a sound, a sound story to five little pumpkins we added instruments they recited it and we recorded it three times and we get to watch them and they get to critique and say well i liked how we did in video one we did a really good job when we did the ending and in video two right so we're doing that kind of thing which is something that i've gotten away from in recent years just because well i don't have good reasons mostly because i always feel like, well, let, we need to be actively music making, actively music making. But part of getting better is that reflection as a group. Yeah. Uh, so that's been successful. And, and the kids cool. really enjoy doing that. And I really haven't had, I haven't had any issues with anyone calling out anybody else and being mean about like, well, Tyler came in late with the hand drum. Like that's not happened so far. That's awesome. So, Yeah. That's been a good thing. Now, as far as things that I really need to work on is I need to work on reprogramming my own brain as far as working towards doing things as groups and helping each other as groups, just because it's not my experience growing up. It's not my experience in my day-to-day -day life. Um, it's, you know... I feel like, especially now that me and my husband are at di two different schools, I feel like my day-to-day -day is very individualistic. And yeah. especially being a music teacher, you know, of course, you feel kind of like an island. Yeah. So there's been some small goals as far as like getting to know the staff. Like I, I really want to make sure that at my school that I, I'm not an island. Like I make an effort to eat lunch with other people. Mm-hmm. Whereas for many years at my other school, I ate lunch alone or I ate lunch with my husband. And yeah. I usually talked to children all day long and that was about it. And I didn't talk to adults. So personally, I need to work on my whole idea of like, hey, Tanya, be a part of the group. Right. You know, don't just be, you know, blinders on and I'm going to get this done and I'm going to get this done. And I'm going to be productive and I'm going to go through all the things that I have scheduled for today. And I'm going to get my own gold stars for completing this, that, or the other. It's just really hard because I feel like I've been living that so much, that yeah. individualistic life. That's true. And we know I'm reading a book right now 
by, oh my goodness, what's his name? Eric Viking, who wrote the little book of Hugo, if you're familiar with that. He is um, like the top researcher at like a happiness institute in Denmark. Anyway, there's a whole book about like, what are the happiest countries and why? Yeah. And the happiest countries are uh, countries where it's just a part of life that you're part of a group. It's very collectivist. He talks about, you know, people who live in their, um, their street is kind of like, I don't want to say commune because everyone has their separate households, but they have like every Wednesday you can come and eat and everyone will bring a potluck dish. And it's very common to have a, um, tool sharing library like people depend and rely on each other people work with each other people help each out each other out in like the collective garden like those kinds of societies where those things are very natural they're happier people people Hmm. who have good relationships are generally happier people and i feel like i do the opposite i don't think i'm the only one i think it's definitely i mean you look at this table in the United States, our score is 91 for individualistic um, attitudes. So anyway, so I need to work on this um, on myself and in my entire life, not just in my classroom, because I think that's the only way it's going to happen in my classroom is that it's going to happen in my life. And this all is also this this idea that I, for some reason I've heard teachers mention this lately about their teaching personality versus their personality and that's not that's not cool oh. your personality is your personality what I'm whether I'm teaching third graders or I'm at home with my family or I'm driving on the highway my personality is my personality and I don't have a different teacher personality I think that's a recipe for a short career. Yeah. That sounds very exhausting. Yeah. I don't know why it keeps coming up in different social media and podcast things that I hear people talk about their teaching personality, which I think is bunk. If you've got a teacher personality, I don't think that's going to work very well. No. I mean, I definitely amp it up. I'm not, I mean, well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's funny because I, I now have my own daughter in my classroom and I've never had my kids in my classroom. And this is the only time likely in my career this will happen because she's a fifth grader. And uh, it's really interesting the things she says because she's like, you talk different as far as like your voice is different, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah, because I turn on my teacher voice, you know, like yeah, sure. there, there is a certain aspect of not acting, but you know, all of a sudden oh, now yeah. you're on stage and you have to be engaging and you have to have energy that's different than you're just sitting around. But I agree with what sure. you're saying that you're the inherent root of who you are as a person. Gosh, that does sound exhausting. I haven't heard this, but I agree that that sounds exhausting. And- yeah, it's just come up a few times and I'm kind of, you know, interesting. Really? Yeah. I mean, I happen to curse more at home for sure. And uh, I'm a lot more cash, but hey, well, I'm a lot more introverted at home. I'm, you know, I'm a lot more like, I do like to kind of keep to myself, but I agree that like, yeah, at school, I try to be more extroverted and I try to be more uh, group minded. That's hard for me. And so I'm, I'm also mindful of that when I'm thinking about things for kids in the classroom is, you know, well, where do our introverts fall into this? Because we can't completely discredit that for some kids that is really uncomfortable to be forced into a group situation. Um, 
but at the same time, then that's what they need. So we just have to make sure we're giving them the right scaffolds to get them there. Well, and then you go back to that whole nurture versus nature. Yeah. How many people are introverts because of our society and and the messages that we're getting even from very, very young. Oh yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's, that is great. Um, something I want to mention too, that I'm working on, you know, this goes back to also getting kids out of their bubble because of the way I see my students that, you know, there's three classes per grade level in our school and one class is the designated gifted and talented classroom. And they, they are with those classes all day, but for, art, music, and PE, they mix them up, which is good. It's good for the kids. It's good for us. However, what I'm seeing is very polarized as far as like who kids naturally gravitate towards. And it's not done in a mean way. It's not done in an exclusive way. But if I have kids partner up or group up, they're always going to the same people, right? Because those are the people they know and the people they feel comfortable with because they're the kids that are in class all day. Um, so I definitely want to use more protocols when it comes to getting kids into groups and especially for things like discuss- discussions, discussing music we've been listening to. Um, I went back and listened to just a little snippet of one of our summer podcasts. And one of the things I said, which was a really good idea at the time, was to take some of the discussion protocols. And they weren't necessarily things talked about in this book, but there are things that you, Tanya, had found on a separate website. And there were all of these different specific discussion protocols of how to get kids together in a group and how to talk about things. And I was Mm. like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to put them like on a card and laminated or something and have them next to me when I'm planning so I can make sure that I'm including some of these things in my lesson plans. Yeah, that never happened. So I'm going to definitely make that a challenge for myself. Oh, what a great idea. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. And you know what? I did employ some of that just teaching level one. Like I wanted to do it right away. Um, and I did, I did a around the world protocol. Yeah. That's one of the ones we talked yeah. about. Yeah. Well, and some of them came directly from this book and then led me, you know, I just went to websites that showed that and uh, oh, yeah. you can why am I not point. doing that? I should be doing that. There's right. So many things. Yes. So, yeah, that's something that I'm going to work on for myself, you know, is, is making sure I'm more intentional about planning those protocols to get kids talking and discussing and in groups with kids who are not from their classroom that they always go to their their same bestie their same small group that they know really well to get them working together with other kids too so just another small goal to work on but great idea well if um anyone listening has questions or thoughts um please you can always reach out via our email and i I know we didn't talk about this, Carrie. So you know what? You can cut this out if it's too much. I think we should revisit again, honestly. Yeah, I think that's the point. I want to say a month, but I'm scared to. No, Um, maybe let's say like February because, you know, holidays and things are happening. I was going to say like March. Oh, oh. Early March because then really. Yeah. Yeah. But before Oak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Challenge accepted. Okay, cool. So now it is time for our No Better Do Better segment where we think about things that we are thinking about differently in our classrooms. So Tanya, what would you like to say? Well, I would really love to mention a resource and a music educator, Ashley Cuthbertson, 
Um, she is a responsive, culturally responsive music educator, has been teaching elementary, and she has, of course, a website where she offers music PD on demand, um, like webinars. She goes live on Instagram frequently, and I've been able to catch a little bit. Um, and she's just a treasure trove of information. Um, and I'm looking through her website. It's very, there's a lot of things. So you really should be following Ashley Cuthbertson on Instagram. Um, and yeah, taking advantage of her resources. I know that from time to time she does some free things in addition to her Instagram lives. Uh, so yeah, she's just a wealth of information and someone we should be listening to. And uh, so please go and follow Ashley Cuthbertson on Instagram, Facebook, check out her website. And of course I just navigated away from it, but um, it's ashleycuthbertson.com, but we'll link exactly. to it in the show notes. We'll too. link to it. Yeah. Yep. And now it's time for our work smarter, not harder teacher tip. Carrie, how shall we work smarter? All right. Well, this is not a, a cheap solution, but I want to talk about Chromebook storage. So when kids are coming to music class and they have their Chromebooks, um, I had the issue this year of being in a smaller classroom than I'm accustomed to. And so I really did not know what to do with student Chromebooks because we never use the Chromebooks the whole time. In fact, yeah. most of the time in my classroom, we use Chromebooks towards the end of the class period um, because then that gives students time to do some independent stuff if they finish early and then it's time to line up and go. Anyways, yeah. all that to say, I wanted a place to keep the Chromebooks out of the way and safe. And so I happened to find... Um, stored on the stage in my school. Um, it's basically like a, a choir folder organizer, and I believe the previous music teacher had brought it over from her church when her church choir was no longer using it anymore. And it's, you know, one of those mailbox systems with the I love horizontal slots. Like yeah, the choir so, folders, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it makes me wonder if one can find those because, you know, I know lots of of choirs and music ensembles are going more paperless and doing more things on technology and things like that. So maybe if you put out a request to local, you know, churches, local organizations, you might be able to find one. But if not, I think it's worth purchasing. And here's what I want to say. It is so lovely. I actually got permission to put mine in the hallway right outside of my classroom because there's kind Ooh. of a little nook that's out of the way. So as students are walking down the hall with their Chromebooks before they come into music, I'm like, put your Chromebook in your slot. Now, here's the other thing that I did. I numbered the slots yeah. to correspond with their sit spot numbers. And I used coordinating color stickers. So in my room, my sit spots are in rainbow order. So red is numbers one through five and orange is six through 10. So I got the little color dot stickers to match. And I just wrote with Sharpie the numbers and stuck them on the, the mailbox system. So the kids are also able to find their number easily because sometimes they can't remember what their number is, but they at least know what their color is. And then that yes. helps them remember what their number is. Anyways, by now they're pretty they know their number and their color but that was just a small detail that I added plus it just looks pretty on the side of the of the, the mailbox but of system. course 
Yeah. Gotta be so pleasant for you. Yeah, it's it's so it's perfect. The kids walk down the hall, they stick their Chromebook in as they sit down, and then they are completely out of sight, out of mind, out of the way. We can move, we can dance, we can do everything. And then when it's time to get our Chromebooks, I can just call them row by row out to the hallway. They get their Chromebooks and bring them in. And um, you know, I always encourage students to bring headphones whenever we're doing Chromebooks because we might be doing something on Chrome Music Lab, or we might be doing something with Soundtrap, Incredibox, whatever. So the idea is most of them have earbuds, but if any of them have like large headphones that don't fit inside their slot, they just put it on top of the little organizer because there's nice. enough surface space on the top that they can just set their headphones there. Anyways, it wasn't something that I had to purchase. I'm not going to lie. It was there. It was free. But had it not been there, I would say right now it would be worth it to spend the money if you have it in your budget um, or if you can get it donated or through PTA. But to have something to organize Chromebooks and get them off the floor and out of the way is a, is a beautiful thing. Yes. So now it is time for our CODA section where we talk about something we have been enjoying in or out of the classroom. I'm going to assume it's out right now because we're just off <laughs> coming off Thanksgiving break. So Tanya, what have you been enjoying? Well, I've been reading a lot, but I've also been listening a lot to audiobooks because, you know, there's lots of things to do around the house and lots of plane rides to be had. And um, it's very hard sometimes for me to find time to like sit down and actually read but I can listen to things as I'm doing laundry and all that thing so I'm a big fan of audio books I wanted to mention a specific audio book that I've been listening to that is only an audio book and it's called Inside Voice My Obsession with How We Sound by Lake Bell and Lake Bell she is an actress she is a voice over person a voice actor um, she did a movie a while back that I saw in the theater with my husband called in a world um that's very good but it's very fascinating you know we've been talking about cultural differences and all of that and this also plays into how you and i went to my fair lady the other day right uh-huh and um that whole story and idea of class as um voice dialects voice accents and pronunciations connected to class yeah right and how you wear your especially i know in england but anywhere honestly how people have specific associations with you know a cockney accent or a southern accent and so this whole book explores not only like the real physics of our voices which a lot of this i was like oh yeah i know that i know from being a singer from having my vocal ped classes right but then also like how different people respond to specific accents the mid-american accent like that newscasters mostly have how our ideas of people and our first impressions of people have changed over the years because of accents anyway it's very fascinating um just from a i don't know as as someone who uses my voice quite a lot it, it's just a really good book. I'm not done with it yet. And the whole uh, first part of it is, is about how everybody hates their voice. How do you feel about your voice? Um, I've grown to accept it. I think Me that's too. Been 
a big thing as an adult and as a teacher and as trying to model that for students. Um, I always hated it when I was younger because I have a very high pitched speaking and singing voice and it's nasal. And uh, so that's something I've always had to fight against as a singer. But um, yeah, I've also just grown to accept this is how I sound. Yeah, you know, doing the podcast, I've definitely grown to accept my voice, but I still don't recognize it. I, and then that's really weird. I will have moments where I'm listening to podcasts and then I'll, I'll click on the middle of one and I'll hear me on our podcast and I'll go, <laughs> who's that? Oh yeah, that would be me. Um, because I'm not as used to hearing my record voice as I am hearing, you know, your voice in your head, of course, sounds differently and how it resonates differently. Um, but yeah, I agree. And I have had the same thing. Um, my speaking voice is much lower than my singing voice, which has been very strange. Uh, and then there's this whole, she explores inside this whole idea of women's voices and, and the backlash against women, women's voices and how a lot of times people complain about women's voices and how we not are not naturally, but how we're predisposed to be attracted to deeper voices and how that's really part of this like sexist idea of authoritative voices have to be lower, have to be, you know, closer to a man's voice. It's fascinating. And so I've been really having a good time. Inside Voice, My Obsession with How We Sound by Lake Bell. Okay, cool. Yeah. What about you? Oh, well, for something completely different. Okay, so um, kind of like you, lots of, of listening, specifically podcasts, because I've been doing lots of reorganization and home stuff over the holiday or this break, which needed to happen going into crazy December. But anyways, um, I want to mention a, a podcast that I think is funny. It's called Don't Ask Tig. Have I talked about this podcast? Oh, no. Is it Tig Notaro? Yes, it's Tig Notaro. I love Tig Notaro. Yeah, so hilarious comedian and just awesome podcast host specifically. So she'll have guests on, and half the time I don't know who these people are that she has on. She probably doesn't either, so that's I'm so behind on pop culture and all things. But um, the, the premise of it, after they just witty banter for a while and catch up on life, is they they um the it's called don't ask tig because she's like don't ask me advice so people will write in needing advice on various topics some of them very silly some of them more serious but it's always hilarious because her and her guest host will um give advice and it's usually pretty horrible but, <laughs> but funny <laughs> you know like just like no that's the opposite of what you would want to do um it's just fun it's just a fun silly podcast um most of the time there's not language, but sometimes there's language. So I guess don't listen to it around kids, but I think it's hilarious. It's just a good thing to have on in the background when one is doing all sorts of, you know, mundane tasks. Cause it's not a heavy think, but it's, it's funny. So don't ask. She has, yeah. I, I think she's wonderful. And she has a documentary um, that was available through Netflix for a while. I think it is still uh, that's really fascinating about her coming up as a comedian and, and all of that. That's yeah. Worth check it out oh yeah she's hilarious the dry humor it's just like perfect i love that that style of humor it's just me too it's great she's so funny so don't ask tig it's a good one awesome we've reached the double bar line thank you for listening to music teacher coffee talk show notes can be found at music teacher coffee talk podcast.com you can connect with us on facebook and instagram just look for music teacher coffee talk 
If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee. That would be a lovely holiday gift. So look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. We will be taking a break in December due to our busy holiday work and family lives. But we will be back with new episodes in January. So until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.